The following audio is from the Ridge Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. For more information about Ridge Church, please visit ridgechurch.cc. We hope you enjoy this message. From one of my mentors and coaches and a man who I have come to know and love dearly. So Ridge Church, I'm excited to bring to you today on this stage, Dr. Dan Ryder. So do me a favor, start putting your hands together right now, and welcome Dr. Dan Ryder. Hey, good morning, Ridge Church. I'm glad to be with you guys. Hey. Oh, gosh, I just have loved, I've been coaching Bobby uh, since uh, back in the days of the Double Tree, and in fact, uh, we came over here to look at this place for the very first time and uh, take a look, a look at what God might do here at this location, and we help him put together the loan and all this stuff. And so it's been a fun journey to with the Ridge Church, although I've not got a chance to do this uh, uh, speak here, but I've worked with a lot of your folks, and good to see a lot of familiar faces. Good to be here with you guys. What, what I do is um, we started the, the Ignite Church Network, Ignite Discipleship uh, Dot com And uh, what we do is we travel all over the country planting churches. In the last four years, we've been able to plant over 60 churches, ridges. The ridge actually was the, the second church uh, that we had uh, up and going. So it's really great to, to, to see what God's doing with, at this location. But there's also a lot of others in the generations that have followed. So be praying for us. If you would, we've, we've been able to plant 60-some churches for $80,000. I mean, really not a whole lot of cost to what we do. We train church planters. We put them on the ground, and they start making disciples that make disciples that really change their communities. And we're seeing the ridge affect and change Oak Ridge. And we're seeing that happen in almost all the cases, basically from coast to coast. I spent most of my adult life in Southern California planting churches. Well, I still have, I mean my earlier adult life. I'm from the mountains here in Appalachia, just north of here, so I'm a, I'm a kid from the mountains, but uh, you know, it's good to be back. I, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Mark, the eighth chapter. We're going to look at them in just a moment. You know, as a pastor, um, I, um, people ask me in private all the time, you know, I was wondering, Dan, do you, I mean, do you, do you ever like have, um, Doubts. I mean, you know, just wonder. Do you? you know. And uh, I think when they ask that question privately, they're really wanting one of two answers. Uh, obviously, they, they. I think a lot of times they want me to say no. I. I don't have any doubts at all because they're like, good. Because now I got so many doubts and questions. And I thought, you know, maybe if you didn't have any doubts and questions, then I'd be okay. And it's, it, I call that kind of piggybacking. You know, it's, it, we do that a lot. There's nothing wrong with piggybacking, right? It's like, you know. I, you know, you're kind of like, you're like uh, smart guys. Uh, just, you know, if you don't have doubts, then that's going to be good, you know. But we do that as kids, don't we? You know, we, we piggyback and, you know, my dad's the smartest man in the world, you know. Uh, you know, and, you know and my mom, she's, you know, we just, so we piggyback on our parents' knowledge and, you know, because they, they know more than we do when we're little. And I think sometimes we kind of do that with, uh, but, the, but the problem, though, with piggybacking is, if that leader crashes and burns, then your confidence and your faith crash and burn, don't, you? don't they? And you've probably had leaders that you put a lot of confidence in, and they had an affair. They left their wife, their husband. They, uh, they got caught in some kind of criminal activity. 
You know, they, they weren't who they said they were. If you've ever been around the church very long and that's happened to you, that can really sting. It's like, oh, and you kind of have a crisis of faith. The other group of people uh, who say that, they want me to say, yes, I've had doubts. Because they want to go, Whew, man, I, oh, it's good to know that. Because like, I was really thinking maybe I was the only one and I maybe, you know, I, you know, that I missed it. You know, that, uh, and what happens is uh, they really... They don't want you to have all the answers and solutions. They really want you to be honest with them. And the reality is every single one of us doubt. That's just the truth of it. In fact, we're going to look in this passage of Scripture. We see every one of the disciples doubted. um, And our doubt process actually is what God wants to use to grow us. And that's, I think, something we really misunderstand. Because whenever I was going through my doubting season, uh, I... I took, I was going to a secular university and, and I had these courses and they just chiseled away at my faith and, and now it's, you don't even have to go to a secular university, you just have to watch TV, right? I mean, and, and they have all these reasons why Jesus was married to, Mar- to what was it, uh, Mary Magdalene, I guess, or, you know, they, are they, they undermine what the scripture says or are there's all these ideas that, you know, God didn't create the world the way that the, script, the scripture says and, you know, and, and we have all these things that really unravel our faith, supposedly. Um, but the reality is our struggles and the things we're going through, God wants to use those. I, I had a, a friend of mine, actually a guy I've been really working with, he's my car mechanic, and I started discipling him and working with him. And he said, you know, I grew up around here, and he said, you know, I, 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 had, I went to youth group. The guy's in his early 30s. He said, I went to youth group, and I, I did the thing, and, you know, I did what, you know, I believe what mama said, right? You know, mama said, I mean, the mama's important, and I believe what the preacher said. He called him the preacher, and he said, um, you know, I just, um, but then I started watching these shows. Have you watched this PBS show, he said, and, and he began to listen, and, and, and they, they, they really kind of begin to chisel away at everything they said in our youth group, and they, everything they said at church, and it's like, I don't really think I can believe that stuff anymore, and so he was really struggling with this crisis of faith. What do I believe? And is, can, can you be a Christian and still be intelligent or still really kind of function in this world? Or is this just some kind of mythological stuff that's just for people who are so naive, they just, they just are going to wish and hope for this Christian thing. But here's the thing. Every one of the followers of Jesus struggled with doubt. Every, every person who ever was a disciple had some measure of doubt. And... It's not whether you doubt or not. It's how you doubt and what happens in that process. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. In fact, if you have your Bibles uh, in, like I said, I ask you to turn to, to Mark, the 8th chapter. Just jump in. If I turn it right side, it works better that way. I can read it this way. And it says, uh, in this particular passage in verse 15, here's kind of the setup of this. It says, they were, as they were crossing the lake, Jesus warned them. He gives them this warning. He says, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. He said, beware of this process. And they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. And so here's what happens. As they're going across the lake, what happens is they say, oh, gosh, Jesus is really angry. I knew it was because we didn't bring sandwiches. Uh, gosh. 
Um, I'm not, I'm not going to read all the passages, so just hold that one right there if you could. And um, I'll come back in just a moment to it. But so anyway, they say, oh, yeah, gosh, Judas, it's always Judas, right? He didn't bring the sandwiches. Jesus is irritated. And what's just happened is they fed the 5,000, right? And, and there's this, and the 4,000, there's these, these, these two big feedings that they've just had. And, and, and the crowds are getting excited about Jesus. In fact, what they're doing is they're, they're wanting to make him king, and just as they're about to make him king, what does Jesus do? He gets in a boat and he takes off. It's like, come on, Jesus. You blow the, blew the most amazing opportunity here. This was, the, you, it's, they set up on a T for you. I mean, it's just, all you have to do is just become Messiah. And if you become Messiah, then we get to be in your Messiah posse. I mean, you know, <laughs> that means good stuff for us. As they're going across the lake, Jesus says, Guys, you got to be careful. You got to be, I want to warn you about this yeast. And they, 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 I guess they may still have bread and fish on their minds from this feeding deal. But that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about sandwiches. He's not talking about a picnic. He's not talking about, man, do you remember in the tablecloth and the ant repellent? I mean, you know, all the things that are critical for the, that's not what he's talking about. What he's saying is there's this, there's this thing called yeast, and yeast is kind of this crazy thing. Uh, what happens is, have you ever been to Subway and you took the sandwich back and said, excuse me, AJ? I mean, when you think of Subway, you think of AJ, right? AJ, look, there is yeast all over the sandwich. I want another one. Get, give me another sandwich. Why? Because you've never seen yeast, have you? Right? You've never seen yeast, but you've seen the impact of yeast on the sandwich, haven't you? Because you know if you have a yeast-oriented piece of bread or a non-yeast-oriented, because it's either fluffy or thin, right? And so what happens is Jesus is saying, look, you can't see this yeast of the Pharisees, but you can see it in what they do. And what happens is the Pharisees so tried to crush anything that they, they basically just took a dominant way of operating, and Jesus is saying to those guys, what I'm doing is different and you have to be careful. And so what happens is, if you're not careful, if you just simply believe what was handed down to you, you're going to eventually doubt. And Jesus is trying to help his disciples be ready for doubt. Because the Pharisees and Sadducees, they, hit, they hammered stuff pretty hard. And eventually you're going to figure out, God is much more open-handed than the religious culture you came from. That would be my message to you guys today. Maybe you came from a really strict religious culture, maybe a King James-only culture, maybe a hard-hitting, you know, kind of dogmatic, kind of rigid, you know, kind of legalistic approach. But see, that's not God. And, and if we're not careful, we see, if we see that kind of God, then what happens is when we get in this complicated, multicultural, multi-diverse uh, world, those easy answers they gave you back then, they don't work today. But the scriptures do work. Jesus does work. The Holy Spirit does work. But that approach won't work. And Jesus knew it's going to be rigid. It's not going to work. He said, be careful of these, of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It's not going to serve you guys well. You've got to, guys, you've got to let, let, 
let the things you're struggling with be out in the open. You've got to little, really process this. And so what happens is in the next verse, this is um, verse 17, Jesus knew that they, what they were saying. And so he said, why are you arguing about having no bread? This is not about sandwiches. Don't you know or understand even yet what I'm talking about? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? So now he's starting to say, this actually is a hard issue, guys, that you're not getting what I'm saying. He says, you don't get it because you, you're, you're, you really have a condition that causes your heart to be hard. And then he goes on and says, have your eyes, you have eyes and you can't see. You have ears and you can't hear. He says, you've got a hard heart. You've got eyes but you can't see and ears but you can't hear. And then he asks them, who do people say that I am? And so in this process, he asks this question, okay, let's, let's get into this doubt issue and this question issue, because who do people really say that I am? And in the Gospel of John, he really goes off the rails on this right here. Uh, we're in Mark, but in the Gospel of John, he says, he goes into what, what I call the vampire zombie passage, um, where he says, guys, look, if you don't really understand who I am, if you don't really consume me, if you just keep it at a head level and it doesn't go into an experience level, this thing's not going to work. He said, you have to eat my flesh. That's that zombie part. And you have to drink my blood, which is the vampire part. He says, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you're not going to understand who I am. He says, in other words, if you just simply keep it up here in the head area, in the cerebral area where you think, and you never experience me, you never consume me, you never really take the next step, then what's going to happen is you're not going to really fully get it. You're always going to doubt. You're always going to have questions. This is never going to quite make it. This is always going to come up short. You're always going to keep struggling with this. You're going to keep having the same exact problem Jesus is doing. He's creating tension in their life. And here's the point is, there is if there is no tension, there never is a tension. In other words, you know, when there's tension, you, you pay attention, don't you? I mean, when, when, when there's tension created, you want to sit on the edge of your seat. Have you ever been in a movie and the, and the tension builds and you find yourself, get, and, and you don't fall asleep in those movies. Why? Because there's tension, and t- tension creates attention. And so Jesus is trying to help them understand, look, guys, you've got to be paying attention to this process. And he goes on and says, um, he asks them, who do people say that I am? And they replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say that you are one of the other prophets. And he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter replied, you're the Messiah. See, there were were three political parties at the time. There were Pharisees, there were Sadducees. Those were the two, that was the Republicans and the Democrats, right? And, and then there was this third Tea Party group, kind of. There was this group called the Essenes. And so what, G, what he's saying is, who do people say that I am? And they say, well, the, the Republicans and the Democrats think that maybe you're John the Baptist, but John the Baptist, he's with the Tea Party. He's an Essene. And so they're, they're, at, they're giving political answers. Or maybe Elijah. Now, he's a, now he's a Pharisee. He's a, he's a that. So they're giving kind of a political answer. And Jesus says, look, I'm not interested in politics. I don't care whether you're Republican, Democrat, or Tea Party. I don't really care. Who do you say that I am? I mean, who do you say that I am? And that's such an important question because he's asking Peter this question. Who do you say that I am, Peter? What's, what's your answer on this deal? 
Because now he's putting Peter in tension, and he's putting the disciples in tension. Peter says, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And so that's a huge answer because we're not shocked by that. I mean, right? We know the answer. We know that. But here's the thing. In three verses, just three verses, Jesus is going to call Peter Satan. Well, he's going to say, you've been influenced by Satan. In other words, you can get the right answer, but not three days, not three weeks, not three months. Three verses later, Jesus creates tension for him. And what does he say right here? And Peter took him aside and began to reprimand Jesus for saying such things in these three verses. What things did Jesus say? Jesus said, look, here's the deal. Here's what I'm going to do. And he begins to lay out his overall direction and plan and focus. And Peter says, hey, listen, you're the Christ. That's the right answer. But Peter had in his head what that was going to be. It was going to be something very different from what was really going to happen. And so what does Jesus say to him? Jesus turned around in verse 33 and looked at his disciples. And he reprimanded Peter. He said, get away from me, Satan, he said. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's point of view. It says, you have, a, you have a world view. You're thinking about this like the prince and the power of the air. Who is that? Why does the scripture call Satan the prince and power of the air? Because what it says is, the way our world thinks is not toward God. The natural way everybody thinks, the natural way of thinking is a non-God way of thinking. It's influenced by the prince of the power of the air. It's influenced by Satan, Jesus is saying. And he's saying, Peter, you gave the right answer three verses ago, but the problem is you don't really get this. Think about it. How easy is it for us to say the right things, for the right answers to come out of our mouth? but not really get it. You can talk to most people in Oak Ridge and in Knoxville and even in East Tennessee, and almost everybody will tell you, I believe that Jesus is uh, the Son of God. I believe he died, and I believe he rose again. I believe he was crucified and resurrected. I believe that. But the way they operate and the way our worldview works is that they live as practical atheists, they actually have huge amounts of doubt, but they don't let themselves really doubt because they say, well, I really, you know, no, I believe I'm a Christian. I, I'm a, yeah, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. But the problem is, this is in Isaiah, they, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. It's a, it's a 17 inch gap between our mouth and our heart. And that can be a huge chasm. And what can happen is we can have mass amounts of doubts between what we say and what we really believe and who we really are. We can say we're Christians. We can say we love Jesus. We can say we believe he's the son of God. We can give all the right answers. But then Jesus turns around and says, that's really the way you live and the way you function and the answers you really give out of your life really come from Satan. They really don't come from God. But we know church answers, don't we? We know church responses, right? We know, we know what the right answers are. But when our hearts are far from God, 
that it really causes trouble to Jesus. And so here's what I would say to you this morning. If you don't really understand this process that's going on between really what we think and how we live, then, then you're not really being honest with your doubts. You're not really being honest with your tension. We live in a world that basically undermines and chisels away our confidence in God through songs and through media, through the Internet, through influences all around us. Even though a lot of people are talking about God, maybe in East Tennessee, there's not a whole lot of really responses that, that really are honest because their lives are disconnected from what they say they believe. Um, when I was, uh, I'll give you a little bit of my background of how I grew up. I, um, my dad was a chiropractor. And when he was uh, just just starting this process of being a chiropractor, uh, they used to take chiropractors and throw them in jail um, because they said they were practicing medicine without licenses. And so he lived, we lived in Cincinnati, and, and every Friday night he would go down to the, the jail and have to, they'd take him and they'd lock him up and he'd have to pay the $25, or they'd take him down there, and they, they, he'd just kind of like Otis, I guess, you know, and, you know, he would pay his $25 and lay himself out. I don't know how it worked exactly, but... but um, <laughs> But he was being jailed for being a medical doctor without a license. And um, I don't know if you know what a chiropractor is, but they adjust people's backs and help them more holistically. They don't use a lot of medicine. And so anyway, um, my dad really wanted me to be a chiropractor so bad. And, And I told him, yeah, Dad, I'll be a chiropractor. But then God got a hold of my life. And, and I, I came in one day, I said, you know what, Dad, I know I'm about ready to go to chiropractic college, and, and you've done a great job, and you've gone from being arrested to, to, to doing a really, you know, having a great practice now. You know, people don't think you're a criminal anymore. Was, you know, that's really good. And uh, that's way to go, Dad, you know. And, uh, and I was willing to be a chiropractor, you know. Uh, but, but I said to him, Dad, I said, I don't think I, I need to be a chiropractor. God's, and I shared with him what God was calling me to do. And he said, that's really good, son. I'm going to help you follow God. So the keys of the car you drive and the tuition for the school you're going to to get ready to go to chiropractic college, that private college, and by the way, the dorm room and your books and all that, that belongs to me. So I want you just to leave them here on the desk along with all the money in your wallet and, uh, and you go follow God. I want you to follow God with everything. But you're going to have to trust God because you're going to walk out of here with nothing. And I said, well, okay, well, maybe I was hasty on this God thing. Let me think about this, and I'll get back with you, Dad. He said, fine. He said, you, you know what the terms are. When you follow God, everything stays on this desk. And uh, about a week later, I came back, and I, I took everything. I laid it all on the desk. I said, Dad, I'm, I'm following God on this thing. And he said, well, you'll never get a dime of my inheritance either. I said, okay. And I, did, I thought it was punitive at the time. But my dad loved me so much. He really wanted me to follow God and to trust God. He wasn't, he was maybe a little irritated that I wasn't going to be a chiropractor, let's be honest. But, but, but he did it out of love. He did. And so I moved into a trailer in this place called Dixie Plaza because it's the only thing I could afford. And on my street, there was a serial killer, but I didn't know that until he got arrested. 
And he, he was chopping up bodies and, and hiding them in the woods behind our house and uh, behind our trailer. And uh, there was another guy, actually, who was not a serial killer, but just a common everyday murderer. He was also, he was across the street. But, um, and so a lot of drug deals, and that's what I could afford, you know. That's all I could afford. And I paid my tuition and kind of got myself through school. And I ate a lot of really bad food and got high cholesterol from that process. But anyway, that I made it. I survived. And anyway, I... Uh, but here's what happens. Dad created tension in me to start paying attention to God, and it was one of the best things you could have ever done to me. And what happens is when we really have tension in our lives that really causes us to pay attention, it really helps us. And your doubts and your questions are the fuel that God wants to use to get you to pay attention. Because if you're just going through this Christian life thing and you don't have any tension you're not paying attention, and you're, people are going to start asking you hard questions. Your kids are going to start asking you hard questions. It's going to even get tougher as things as we, as we go. This is going to be a tough time and a tough road. I mean, it's going to be, the Bible tells us, Paul says to Timothy, it's going to be hard to be a Christian in these days that are coming, that we're in right now, and I think in the latter days. And so here's what, we have to be paying attention, and and, and, and maybe... Maybe this Christian thing hasn't become the real deal to you. Maybe you've just, just been kind of going through the motions. But it, it, if it's not a real deal, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hit you squarely between the eyes. Because, you know, maybe you were a teenager and you went through the whole youth group thing. And, but now, now you're in business. And following Jesus is a lot tougher than it was when, you know. It was simpler back in youth group days, but now it gets complicated. Or maybe you're dating, and maybe you're an adult dating in it, and maybe you did the true love waits things whenever you were back in high school. But now you're an adult, and not everybody, you know, not everybody's really doing Christian principles in terms of how they date or how they do their their business practices. Or maybe you raised your kids, and you raised your kids to be Christian, but now maybe... Maybe they're really so serious. They, they come in and told you they, they're really going to follow God. They want to be a missionary. And, and you think, well, they're getting too carried away with this thing. I mean, I don't know what it is in your life that might create tension, that might create some, some pressure for you. But here's what's going to happen is one of two things happen. Jesus, in this particular passage, we talked about the, he says to his disciples, eat my flesh and drink my blood. What he's saying is, look, following me, it's going to be tough. It's going to be a challenge. You've got to consume me. You can't just believe about me the right things. You've got to consume me. And if you don't consume me, you're not going to really get what this thing is. And here's what's going to happen. It's going to be one of two things. Either it's going to be hard to follow Jesus because in the real world, it just gets complicated. And even though people may say they're Jesus followers, how they function doesn't really work that way. And so if you're really going to follow Jesus, it's going to make you stand out and be different, even in East Tennessee. Or it's just going to be so weird. We're going to find Christians are increasingly more and more considered weird and odd in our culture. And so it's going to be one of two things. It's either going to be really hard or it's going to be really weird. And the Bible says in this particular passage, and many no longer followed him. In other words, when Jesus said some of the things he said, many, especially in John 6, 66, he says, many no longer followed Jesus any longer. In this passage, in this, in this exact same part that we're talking about in Mark, um, Jesus says in verse uh, uh, 34, if any of you want to follow me and be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. Again, 
he says some really hard things. Now, we've heard that so much, it doesn't sound that odd to us. But what he's saying is you really have to be crucified. You have to die to what you have planned to do and let, let me come alive in you. In verse 35, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. He says, and, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? Jesus is saying here, listen, if you try to hang on to this thing, if you try to make all these pieces fit together, you're going to lose. In other words, if you try to say, I'm going I'm to kind of think like uh, a regular person, but I'm going to say I believe in Jesus, and I'm going to live in this tension, I'm going to feel like I'm being pulled in both ways, he says, you're going to lose it. He says, if you hang on to your life, you try to hang on and, and yet do, live in both worlds, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and the sake of the good news, you're going to save it. And what does it benefit you to gain the whole world and lose your own soul? And Jesus asked a very powerful question because he's saying, listen, if you have doubts but you just press them down and you ignore them and you don't pay attention to them, he says you, have a, you, run, you run a chance of, of, of losing your soul. You have a chance of losing something far bigger than just than what's, what we've been talking about here. He says, what does it benefit you to just act like you're a certain way, but ignore those doubts, not pay attention to them, and have them just eat away at you? We lived in California most of my adult life and uh, raised, planting churches in Southern California, and we lived on the coast. And on the coast, you'd see these beautiful palatial mansions, just Big, massive mansions, beautifully manicured yards. But you'd notice in, in the years, the 17, 18 years that we lived there, I noticed that their yards kept getting smaller, you know? <laughs> their backyards would get smaller and smaller because the beaches and the cliffs would begin to erode. And you wouldn't notice it. It wouldn't happen all at once. It would just be very small and very subtle. And then you'd notice the beach, the yard would just get up almost to the back porch, and then a big rainstorm would come. And you've seen what happens in one rainstorm. That whole beautiful mansion would just be down in rubble and splinters. It would, in, 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 in about a matter of a minute to a minute and a half, maybe even, you know, it depends on how quickly it eroded. But it, you just see it go from this beautiful multi-million dollar mansion to a pile of trash. Everything they'd built, everything they'd worked for, all of their efforts, just in a pile of garbage. Worthless garbage. How can something go from $10 million to garbage? But what happens is Jesus said, that's, that's what you have to be careful about. He says, because your lives, if you don't pay attention to your doubts, if you don't pay attention to what's really going on, if you don't keep a good finger on the pulse of your soul, he says, your soul can just erode and you can, you can, you can be in a garbage place. Why? What is he saying? He's saying, what does it profit you to be so distracted that you're trying to just get everything else, but you're not paying attention to the doubts in your soul and the erosion that's happening and you lose your soul. What is the worth of your soul? That's an important question. What is the worth of your soul? Here's what, here's what I'm concerned about. A lot of people can live all their life, 20, 30, 35, 40 years, acting like a Christian, 
And in our increasingly secularizing culture, people will start walking away. I'm starting to see it. People starting to walk away from the faith. But yet, they, they were Christians for so long. They acted like Christians. They seemed like they had it going on really good. But what benefit does it do for you to just to act a certain way and nothing really be happening and not paying attention to your doubts and not paying attention to the undermining and the chiseling away and the eroding? See, Jesus warns us, this can be about the destiny of your soul. This, this has a huge impact. Among millennials, millennials are, are people basically 35, 36 and under. And the millennial generation is a generation that for the first time has had a huge gathering, a, a huge group of what they call nuns. And when I first heard that, I thought, well, that's interesting. I didn't, I mean, I'm thinking, you know, these, these you know, women who had these long black things, and these little funny white things on their head who live in, you know, convents, you know, and, but th- what they're saying is people who have no belief at all, they have no, they're nuns. And, oh, I get that kind of nun. They, they, don't, they, they don't have any belief system. And what's happening is among millennials, 35 and under, even here in East Tennessee, there's a mass number of people who aren't necessarily opposed to Christ, they just say, I don't believe anything. I just, I, I'm not a demon worshiper. I just don't believe anything. Here's the problem. The problem is it's impossible to be a nun because what happens is, if, have you ever noticed, uh, Jesus warned us. He said, you can take a house and you can clean it out. And when you get it all cleaned out, it comes back seven times worse. Let me give you a case in point, your garage. Have you noticed that? You can get your garage all cleaned up and it looks amazing. And what happens a year later? You go back in and go, what's all this junk in my garage? I had it all cleaned up. It was perfect. And there's this, all this stuff just gets, gets stacked in my garage. Here's what happens. Nature abhors a vacuum. I mean, you, you can't be in a nun place. You can't say I'm a nun because you have to have something. And so what happens is if you say I'm a nun or, or, or these doubts have eroded me and I just don't really want to commit anywhere, guess what? You're going to commit somewhere. Something's because your soul is not neutral. Your soul cannot be in a neutral place. And Jesus asked the question, what is the worth of your soul? We have to pay attention to that question. Because there is no attention without tension. And the tension in your life, the tension that you feel, the tension from these questions, the tension from our culture that just keeps chiseling away at our faith, we've got to be paying attention. It is something that's going to help you. Jesus knew that he had to be helping his disciples be paying attention to this process. And Jesus warns us, he says, what does it benefit you to gain the whole world and lose your own soul? In verse 37, is anything worth more than your soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Jesus says, you cannot, you cannot ignore your soul. You can't. I wrote a book called The God Questions. And it's a, it's a book, you can pick it up out there in the lobby if you'd like, and, and uh, they can t- help you with it. But it's just, it takes the 40 top questions people have about God. And, and, and the reason why I wrote it was because I knew that if we don't start dealing with and addressing and getting some answers to, who, to what we really believe and really what's, what's going on inside of us, we're going to be in a place where if we're not careful, we're going to think, I've got, I'm fine. I'm doing fine. I've just got a few questions, a few gnawing doubts. I'm just going to keep ignoring it. I'm just going to keep forgetting about it. I'm just going to keep not paying attention to it. But it's like that ever-eroding backyard. Eventually it comes and your whole life and structure goes, well, I'm just walking away from this. And it may seem like a small thing right now. In fact, it's going to be so 
Timothy says, in the latter days, there'll be so many who walk away from their faith, so many people who just disregard it and dismiss it. Here's what happens. It almost doesn't seem like that big of a deal. It seems kind of like what everybody's doing. And it's like, oh, I was kind of naive back in the youth group days. I was kind of naive back in what mom and dad believed back in the home church. And I've kind of sophisticated beyond that. I've I've kind of matured in some of my belief systems. But the problem is it's actually eroding of your soul because you're not paying attention to your doubts. You're not paying attention to things that have been chiseling away and eroding away and eating away at your confidence in who Jesus is and your confidence in the Scripture. And what happens is when that erodes away, you don't talk to Him. You don't relate to Him. What is the worth of your soul? That's the question. Because if you're not careful, if I'm not careful, we find ourselves becoming more casual toward God and more flippant toward Him and more careless toward Him and more casual toward Him in a way that just really really erodes us. We've got to pay attention to this. This is not something we mess with. This is your soul, Jesus says. What does it benefit you if, if you make this exchange and you gain everything that you dreamt of, everything in your whole that you, that, that you could even imagine? But when it gets down to it, you realize my, who I am, who I am for eternity, who, who God made me to be for eternity See, you only get one life, and this one life is, is really a preparation for eternity. What if that is what's corroded, eroded down the hill, and all you have is trash in your soul? When you open up your soul, you see there's nothing but trash there. There's not, Jesus says, in my Father's house are many mansions. If I were not tell, so, I would tell you so. And what if, what if you get to that, that moment, that place, and there's not a mansion? There's just trash, because you just... You just let your soul get eroded by this culture, by the doubts and the questions that just ate away at you. I want to ask you just to bow your head and close your eyes and take just a moment. And this is something that just we have to be paying attention to because Jesus was really clear on this. He said to Peter, in just three verses, Peter, you can give me the right answers, but if you're, if you're not really paying attention to the, to the needles on your soul, the, 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 met, the meter that's going on that... You don't realize that you are just losing ground and your doubts are eating away and eroding away. Something so key. Maybe right now, just you need to say, Father, I just really want to deal with my doubts. I really want to start finding answers to some questions. I really want to start investigating. I really want to start paying attention. I really want to start listening to you. I, I don't want to get to the place in my life and eternity where there's just trash, where there should be something for me to to live with you in for eternity. Father, we need you so much. We live in complex times, times that require thought and and prayer and you and your Holy Spirit. Father, they they require us to really be paying attention to this important topic. Oh God, we don't want to just take this flippantly. We really want to pay attention so that your spirit can just move us Father, the tension that you're creating in us, these, these doubts and these questions, we pray that you'd use it for attention, that you would help us to have, pay attention to you and what you're saying to us. We really need you, Jesus. We turn to you and we trust you. We open our lives to you, Jesus. Come and live in us. Holy Spirit, come and live in us. Come and move us to the place where we really wrestle with the things that are so important, that we just don't ignore these things any longer. Today, if you're in this place where you realize, I've let some doubt creep in. I've let tension 
be gone and, and I'm not really living in tension. I'm just kind of living with, with an eroded way. You start realizing, what are the things I've begun to believe that I didn't believe before? What are the things I believe that really are in conflict with Scripture? What things have I believed that you say, well, that's just the way the world is, just the way things are? And you realize you've gotten very callous about things. You realize that you don't hold the same position that was a biblical position from even some time before, two years, five years, ten years ago. There's been an erosion in your heart. Just confess that. Confess that and say, Jesus, only you can really change me and heal me and restore me. I need you, Jesus. Come and do the work in me that only you can do. We pray the Spirit would just move you to that different kind of a place, a place where he would just draw you to himself. We would fall deeper and deeper in love with him. There wouldn't be the erosion of doubt and confidence, but that you'd have a new confidence, a new focus, a new way of thinking about so many things. He would give it to you. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your presence here. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, at the end here at the service at the Ridge, we do communion. And I would encourage you, as you take the bread, as you take and you dip it in the cup, that you'd be able to say, Lord, there's been so much brokenness in my life that's caused me to miss you to misunderstand who you are. I just take what you've given me. I take this life. I take this, uh, this body that's been broken for me, the blood that was shed for me. And while I say I believe it, I really today want to really believe it. I want to experience you. I want to really trust you. I want to make this a part of how I respond to you. Father, forgive me for casually or flippantly responding. But today I want to respond in obedience and clarity to say, Jesus, I'll deal with my doubts. I'll deal with the things that have eroded away in my confidence in you. He said, take my body, eat my flesh, drink my blood. He says, you've got to consume me. You can't just simply believe about me. This has got to change you. Jesus, we receive this this offering of this communion. We receive it. In the name we pray.